Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The book of 1 Corinthians presents to us a context that looks very similar to our modern day setting in the church. And here we meet a church that faces issues much like the ones that we face today. How do we handle disagreements among God's people? What does a Christian's sexual ethic look like in a world of, um, where promiscuity is the norm? In what ways does the gospel shape our, our, our marriage? And the Apostle Paul will set about to answer these questions and others in this letter to 1 Corinthians. Read with me the first 17 verses. Paul, <clears throat> called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all the word and in all knowledge, even as the witness about Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, beyond reproach in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I exhort you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brothers, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one, would, no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did also uh, the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, not in wisdom of word, so that the cross of Christ will be, not be made empty. So Paul, the apostle, has written this letter to this church in Corinth. Now it's an interesting thing because I have found throughout my ministry that you will have people come into a church, they'll, they'll visit a church, they'll join a church and do all of these things, and at the first sign of trouble they leave and they say, oh, this is not what church is supposed to be like. You don't find a church like this in the New Testament. Well, you need to be the book of 1 Corinthians because this church had problems galore. And Paul greets them as brothers in Christ. 
that they are a legitimate church. And Paul reminds them that their very existence is a, as a community of believers is due to the work of God alone. There are three distinctives which are always characteristic of God's church. And Paul talks about them. Uh, Christians are sanctified in Christ Jesus. To be sanctified means to be set apart. We are to be different. We are, we are not to be like this world. Sanctification is one of the great blessings of the gospel. We have been set apart as God's particular possession. We are His. And so to be set apart for godliness, uh, sanctification is just merely the outworking of the godliness that's in us as a result of our being saved by Christ. And being set apart for God's own use is implicit in the new birth. And here's the thing, if you have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, the very Spirit of God Himself. And the Spirit's desire is that I would grow and I would become more like Christ, that I would be set apart from this world. Um, I will say, you've heard me say it a million times, I will say it a million more if I need to. If you are here this morning, you have no desire to live a godly life, no desire to be holy in God's sight, then you have every reason to know that you're probably not saved. Because if you're saved, the Spirit of God lives in you, and that's His desire. And so, to be a real church, to be a part of the church, is to be people who are Spirit-filled people who long for sanctification, who pursue, as a matter of fact, the writer to the Hebrews says, that without sanctification... Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So we are called to be, the, these saints that Paul writes to, he says they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Uh, they, he, Paul says they are called to be saints. Now we are not saints because we exhibit saintly behavior, because most of us don't. We are not saints because the church has decided to make us saints. We are saints because we are in Christ Jesus. Every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is a saint, according to the, the Word of God. And so, Christians, we are united together by a common faith in Jesus as Lord. One of Paul's emphasis in this letter is that the congregation in Corinth belongs to the universal church. God has no lone rangers. In the last few years, we have seen more and more churches that begin to broadcast through Facebook or other avenues their services. We do the same thing. And there are more and more people who are saying, you know what, I don't like being in the church. I don't want to go to church. I'll just sit home and I can worship God just sitting here in my living room. And they are absolutely wrong. You cannot worship God like that on a consistent basis. We are called to gather together as the people of God. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. God has no Lone Ranger Christians. There is none who says, you know what, you people do what you want. I'm going to go over here and just live for God on my own. No, you won't. You will not do that because it cannot be done. So Paul here, he, 
he, he, he tells them that they are a, a part of a bigger thing here. Now, we need to understand that you and I are just a local congregation. But as the church, we are part of a universal church that spans the entire globe. But we also need to understand that just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean they are. Just because a church has a sign that says church on it doesn't mean they are. But those who are truly in Christ have repented of their sins. The Spirit of God lives in them. They are all part. And so we're all part of this together. What binds us together is nothing less than a common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that they are enriched in every way. In verse 4, he says, I thank my God concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all word and in all knowledge. Over the next few paragraphs, Paul will remind the Corinthian believers of his first visit and the founding of the church. But because they are in danger of elevating human instruments, he begins to, uh, by underlining the only true source of their existence, which is the grace of Christ alone. There is no one congregation on earth that is greater than another, that is, that is more special in God's sight than any other. We are all members of the family of God. And... Here in Corinth, they one of the things that they had done, and we're going to look at here for in just a second that he talks about at the end of this passage, they had elevated some people. They'd elevated Paul. They'd elevated Apollos. They'd elevated uh, Cephas or Peter and, and put them in a place where they did not belong. Uh, verses uh, 4 through 8 is, is one long sentence in the original. And in verse 7, the focus shifts from the present to the future. Look at verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's what Paul's getting at. See, he is about to admonish this church on several fronts. Several uh, sins that are going on in this church. But Paul doesn't just walk in and he doesn't say, okay, sit down, shut up, and listen to what I'm going to tell you. Paul is a loving pastor. Paul is listening to them. And he's saying, look, I want you to understand that the, knowledge, the, 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 the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is evident. And it is imminent. And the current issues in Corinth, they were real. Uh, they were important. But they need to be seen and evaluated in light of the coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must live all our lives this way. We are to live our lives and everything we do as individual Christians, as a, as a gathering of God's people, as a member of God's church. We need to evaluate everything we do in light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, make no mistake, he will come and he will not come as a savior. He will come as a judge. As someone has well said, you will bow the knee before Jesus Christ. You will bow the knee before Christ now as your Lord and savior, or you will bow the knee before him then as your judge. But you will 
bow the knee. Every per, everyone will. So as believers, we wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, a clear future focus is essential for healthy Christians living in the present. You and I, we are to live every single moment as believers with the anticipation that Christ could come at any moment. At any moment. When I'm faced with a temptation and I, I, I give in to this temptation... And I've often wondered, what if I give in to this temptation at the very moment Christ comes? Now, I'll still be saved. But can you imagine looking into the face of your Savior and Him saying, Why? Why? I, I saved you from this. So we live as a church. We are to do everything we do. We, we have to be. A church where everything, everything, there's a giant umbrella over this church and Christ is at the beginning. He is at the top. He is the head. You know why? Because he is the head of the church. This is his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. So we are to live everything in light of uh, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> and such a focus provides the assurance that is that that is absolutely central to God's purposes. God is faithful is the key to every assurance that we as believers enjoy. Do you know this morning that God is faithful? Do you know that God has never broken his word? He has never broken a promise. He has always done exactly what he says he will do. God can be trusted to fulfill his every word. And I want to tell you, in light of what we're talking about here this morning, I'm reminded of what Jesus said. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Didn't say the gates of hell would not come against it. It says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we this morning, we can gather and we can rest in the assurance of God's word that we are. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. And you need not fear anyone. God can be trusted to fulfill his every word. God is faithful. He who has called us to be holy will dependence on our, whole, our faithful God. And then he gets to verse 10 through 17 where he talks about these who, uh, this explains in detail the nature of the unity for which Paul was pleading. He says uh, there in verse 10, now I exhort you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. Now, I want to talk about what Paul means and what Paul does not mean. Paul doesn't mean that we're all going to agree on everything. There are, there are good, godly people who believe... That Jesus Christ could come at any moment. There are good, godly men and women who believe that He's not coming any moment. 
But when Paul talks about unity, it means that we have a, 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 a combined purpose. That we seek to glorify God in all that we do. In our preaching, in our singing, in our serving, at your jobs, in your marriage, at school, wherever you may be, whatever you're doing, that you all agree. Uh, basically, he's saying that you all may say the same thing. Now, let me tell you what that means. Because you see, not everyone standing in a pulpit today is saying the same thing. And what Paul means is that we say the same thing, the truth of what the gospel says. That we are dead in our, our sins and we must go to Christ in order to be saved. That Jesus is the only way to salvation. But there are many today who teach that you're all just good people. You just need a little help. That's not biblical truth. That's not saying the same thing. And so when Paul says that you all say the same thing, he's saying that you all understand that, that there is a central truth that we must believe. And that central truth is found in the entirety of the Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation. So we all learn that we must be in unity as far as what we seek to accomplish and what we seek to seek to accomplish is the glory of God himself the gospel has brought us into God's family and he says to these Corinthians their responsibility is to demonstrate that family likeness to demonstrate that family likeness and we must do this and verse 10 explains in detail the nature of this unity as I said Paul says that you say the same thing and here Paul starts with the outward symptoms of their problems uh, he says that you that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment the idea is that of being thoroughly knit together Jesus said by this will all men know you're my disciples that you have love one for another. But let me tell you something, folks, about love. If you truly love me, and I truly love you in the way that God has called us to love, when you see me engaging in outward sin, you will call me out on it because you love me. When I see you engaged in, 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 in stepping outside the will of God and not living the life that God has called us to, I have a responsibility because I love you to call you out on it. And so this is what Paul, we're going to see later that Paul's going to really come down on them about this part, uh, that, about all of that right there. But <clears throat> we are knit together and it is only when God's people think alike about God, about Christ, about the gospel, about ourselves and about the church that we that real unity can be demonstrated all true christians unity is god is in god's revealed truth alone listen many times i have people come to me they say pastor here's a situation what do you think pastor here's what i heard another preacher say what do you think and I want to tell you something, folks. What I think is completely irrelevant. The only true answer is, what saith the Scriptures? That's all that matters. What does the Scripture say? I can sit down and, and, and you can come to me and say, Pastor, what is your vision for this church? I don't have a vision for this church. 
Christ is the vision for this church. He's the one that has a vision. And I'll tell you, that vision is the same for this church as it is for every other church. It's all the same. That we, that we live godly lives and glorify God. And so we are knit together. What does the Scripture say? Paul says that there be no divisions among you, that there be no rents or tears in the fellowship. Now sadly, the reality in Corinth was different as, as it is in many churches today. Folks, I could tell you story after story of, of, of things I've personally seen in churches that tore churches apart that I want to tell you broke the heart of God. And that people would stand back and say, really? You split over that? I'll tell you one. It's one of my favorites to tell. Many of you have already heard about it. I was at a church one time. I, I actually led the music in this church. And uh, <clears throat> the Lord had called me to a church to pastor, so I was leaving. So they called another man in to take over leading the music. And in this church, they had the piano over here and they had the organ over here. And uh, the la uh, on a Sunday night meeting, the, the uh, new guy, they were introducing him to the church. And we were all there. Everybody's excited. You know, I'm getting the church to pastor and bringing in somebody else to do the music. And he said, I have one request. And, and actually, as one of the deacons stood up and said, this, this, this new guy has made this one request is that we move the piano to this side and the organ to that side. It's just easier for him in leading the music. And to make a long story short, a fist fight broke out between two deacons over that. And it's sad. It's sad. Well, my mama's played the piano right there for 40 years, and that's where she played it, and that's where it's going to stay. And I'll tell you something, folks. That church, that one night, destroyed any testimony it had in that community. It was a small community, even smaller than what we got here. And everybody in the town knew what happened. And the attendance in that church dropped nearly nothing. All because of something very stupid. And this is what Paul's talking about. He says, don't let there be any divisions among you. But not only that, Paul says in verse 12, Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, I'm Cephas, I'm a Christ. You know, there were some in the church who were saying, Oh, Paul's the greatest preacher. I love him. He needs to be our pastor. Somebody said, oh no, Apollos is a lot better preacher. Let's have him. Somebody said, well, what about Peter? What about Cephas? I think he's the best one. And then there were some who were saying, well, you know what? We need to just look at Jesus. And Paul says, and, and, and you know, I think Paul was very heartbroken over what they were doing here. You know, it's an interesting thing. Today, most preachers today worry that people don't think enough of them. Paul had the opposite problem. He worried that people thought too much of him and not enough of Christ. And this is, one of the, this is where this division here comes in. Uh, and, and Paul's plea is grounded in the words of Christ when he said, By this will all men know that you are my disciples. Verse 12, uh, 11 and 12, he gives us the root of the problem. 
For I have been informed among, concerning you, my brothers, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each of you is saying, I am a Paul, I am a Paulus, I am a Cephas, and I am of Christ. Division in the church and such problems cannot be solved without examining what the causes are. And the causes are listed there in verse 12. And note the use of the word I. They are saying, I am of Apollos, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas. The root of the problem was the glorifying of individuals. Now, let me tell you, today we live in the era of the celebrity preacher. Now, there are some great men of God out there that are world famous. John MacArthur, Stephen Lawson, Paul Washer, R.C. Sproul. These are great men. You hear me quote these men time after time. You hear me talk about how much I love to hear these men preach. But folks, I want to tell you one thing that I know is that they are the best of men, but they are just men at best. There are things with MacArthur that I don't agree with. There are things with Lawson I don't agree with. Okay, I agree with everything Paul Washer says, but... We need to understand, this is what Paul's getting at, the glorifying of individuals. I'll tell you another illustration of, a, of an incident that I, I uh, witnessed one time. I was Back when I used to sing a lot, I was invited to a church one Sunday morning to come and sing for them. <clears throat> and afterwards, they had a big fellowship. Now, this is a church of about 100, 150 people. And we're all sitting there in the fellowship hall afterwards. And I'm sitting across from a man... <clears throat> And he's telling me, he's saying, you know, um, he said, yeah, I used to pastor. He said, but I've kind of gotten away from it, and now I'm just a member here at this church. And the guy sitting next to him says, you know, um, I love to hear you preach. You know, I kind of wish you were our pastor, you know, instead of the one we got. And I'll never forget this. That man stood up, and he looked around, and he, point, he, he, he picked that man, grabbed him by the arm, and said, stand up. I mean, he was angry. And he said, you see that man right over there? He said, that's our pastor. I love him. I support him. And if you say anything like that again, I'll leave this church and never come back. That's our pastor. And I thought, man, if every time could happen, because I have seen instances where somebody has said, well, you know, uh, we, we wish you were our pastor more than this guy. Next thing you know, you've got a church that's divided over who should be doing the preaching, who should be doing this. And Paul says, this is ridiculous. He says, why are you elevating men to this? He said, let everyone do what God has called him to do. And, and, and Paul did not regard Apollos. He did not regard Cephas as threats to himself. Paul didn't say, hey, why are you, why are you want Apollos or Cephas? I'm a much better apostle than they are. Paul didn't do that. That was not where he was going with this at all. The gospel is not to be used to build personality cults. We don't need Christian groupies. We need to understand that, there, that, that we cannot let these ridiculous things like this divide us. And in verses 13 through 16, Paul asked three questions. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And the answer, of course, is no to all of these. And Paul is, is saying to these people, look, why are you taking me and Apollos and, and Cephas and elevating us to the level of Christ? 
He said he is to be all in all. And to continue in this way was to cut themselves off from Christ. Their behavior was tearing the body of Christ apart. Now, you know, one of the things I see about Paul right here, everyone would agree that Paul is probably the greatest of all the apostles. I mean, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. Paul was a man who knew what he was talking about when it came to theology and it came to doctrine. But we see Paul here saying, hey, leave me out of this. Don't dare elevate me to a place like that. And we see a humbleness in Paul in doing this. So to make any human leader who is only a channel of God's grace, your reference point is to reproach the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, here's what the church in Corinth had done. Here's the overall root of their problem. Jesus was not regarded as head of their church. The word of God was not regarded as the final authority in their church. And anytime you find a church that does that, you're going to find a church with nothing but stupid problems. Now, there are good problems in a church. Did you know that? There are good problems that happen in a church. Whenever you have uh, uh, people who, who get upset or get, or get mad or leave or whatever over someone preaching the Word of God and preaching the truth, that's a good problem. But when you have people fighting over which side the piano must go, or you have people elevating others, those are stupid problems. And it's a reproach to the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul gives them the remedy. <clears throat> Verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, not in wisdom of word, so that the cross of Christ will not be made empty. Paul's great commission, from which he would never be deflected, was the preaching and the proclaiming of the gospel. And we must understand that as a church, that is what we are called to do. We are called to proclaim the message of the good news of Jesus Christ as presented in the Word of God. That of Jesus Christ as the only Savior, as Jesus Christ as the uh, exalted Son of God, And listen, we, I had a conversation with, I think it was Tim about this this week. A lot of churches today have the misconception that we're here to serve the community. That's not why we're here. We're not here to serve the community. I'm not here to serve the community. I'm here to serve you who are fellow Christians. You are here to serve me and to serve everybody else. We are here to worship God. Now, that may include serving the community, but that's not our priority. Our priority is one another. Our priority is glorifying God. Our priority is gathering together to worship together. And so the whole thrust of Paul's ministry, the whole thrust of my ministry, the whole thrust of your ministry, and yes, you have one, is to do nothing but exalt Jesus Christ. But you do that in loving one another. You do that in serving one another. You do that in proclaiming the gospel. That's how we exalt Him. That's what we are called to do. Paul says, not in wisdom of word, not to put your confidence 
in men. You see, there were some who were saying, well, it must be true because Paul said it. Or it must be true because John MacArthur said it. And Paul is saying, don't exalt me. Don't exalt any of these other men. Exalt Christ. You know, then John chapter 3 and verse 30. John the Baptist said some of the most profound words found in the entire Bible, and I'll guarantee you most of you have never even read it. John chapter 3 and verse 30. They come to John and they tell him, they say, John, you see, earlier Jesus had come and John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then later they come to John and they say, Hey, John, you know that guy you pointed out? Well, everybody's starting to follow him. You're losing all your followers, John. And then John the Baptist said these words, folks, you need to ingrain these words in your heart. He must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about what we think. All that matters is what does it say about Christ. We are to draw attention to Jesus. We are not to draw attention to ourselves. The, the, the Corinthians were not only drawing attention to themselves in the sense that they were selecting these men that they thought were, you know, super spiritual. But they were drawing, you know, the, the, the city of Corinth was a terrible place. It was a large city full of, of, of sin. It was like a modern day New York City. Every sin under the sun, a modern day Las Vegas, a modern day uh, New Orleans. And in the midst of it set a church. And the people outside were looking at this church and say, really, that's what they do? That's what they do? And Paul says, you need to stop doing this. We are to draw attention to this. The remedy for the division was to return to the gospel of the cross, which is God's wisdom and God's power. Look at verse, I'm, I'm going to preach on this next week, but look at it now. Verse 18. <clears throat> for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross we are called to preach the cross of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came. That He bore in His own body the sins of His people. That He went to a cross and He, he, he was sacrificed. The sacrificial Lamb of God. Enduring the entire wrath of God for His people. And that if you and I will, will, will come to Christ and we will believe on Him, repent of our sin. Then He'll save us. But you must come by way of the cross. We must come that way. Humbled at the foot of the cross, Christians recognize one another as sinners saved by grace, brothers and sisters in God's family. Did you know I'm a sinner? Did you know that I am not perfect? I don't care what sin he says. You're not perfect. We all sin. Paul was no different. You know, Paul even said, this great apostle said, I am the chief of sinners. I'm at the top of the list. 
I disagree with Paul on that. I'm at the top of the list. And every one of us should say, no, you're wrong. I'm at the top of the list. But we need to recognize we're all sinners. But we also must recognize that in Christ we are family. We are to love one another, care for one another, encourage one another. We belong to one another. Submitting to the one Lord we are bound together in His body. And we must express that unity in our thoughts and in our speech. Paul says, is Christ divided? You know, it reminds me of, uh, I, thought, I believe it was Gideon. <clears throat> He's about to go to war. And he looks and he sees the angel of the Lord carrying a flaming sword. Now you all know who the angel of the Lord is, right? That's Jesus in the Old Testament. And Gideon goes to him and he says, Hey, whose side are you on? And he says, I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. Jesus is not on your side or my side. Jesus is on your side and my side. Because we are together united to Him in Christ. And when we understand this, a lot of the divisions, a lot of the things that go on amongst us that we allow to divide us will go away. When I understand... Hey, y'all ready for this? Some of you are not going to like what I'm about to say. You don't always get to have your way. I don't always get to have my way. I see some of you looking at each other. Anybody got a mirror in your pocket? We need to understand, and this is what Paul's saying to them. He says, stop thinking about yourselves. Begin to think about Christ. He's not divided. He loves. And we are His. You know, Paul spent the first, you know, uh, let's see, eight, nine verses in this letter to Corinth telling them how much He loved them and how much He thanked God for them and who they are in Christ. Sometimes we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. That we are brothers and sisters. We are united in Christ. Listen, I have biological brothers and sisters. That if they die without Christ, I will never see again. But you, you're stuck with me forever. Eternity. We are more united than, than I am to my biological family without Christ. And we need to understand this. And, and so Paul, he, he's, he's coming after them. He's saying, look, don't make the cross of Christ of none effect. He said, if you have these silly little squabbles among yourselves, if you have this unforgiveness towards a fellow believer, if you have this lack of love for God's people, how are you going to go out into the world and proclaim the message of the, Christ of, uh, the cross of Christ? He said, how are you going to do that? He said, you're going to make it of no effect. So let us make sure 
And like I said, now there are some things that we must take a stand on. There are some essentials of the gospel that we must take a stand on that will cause division. But it won't call. I have found that these essentials rarely cause division among believers. What they do is they cause division among believers and those who claim to be believers. So we need to be sure. Paul says, God didn't send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we come this morning just recognizing, Lord, that in many ways we are no different than the church there in Corinth. That, Father, your church in our world today is... So, Lord, may we examine ourselves this morning as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. May we examine our hearts and make sure that we're in the faith, make our calling and our election sure. Father, may we not have any unrepented sin in our life, that we harbor no unforgiveness, no bitterness, no hatred of another one, but, Father, that we would remember Christ and what He's done for us. So now, Lord, as we take just a moment, a moment of silence for every one of us to examine our hearts, Lord, will You search our hearts? Lord, that You may see if there be any wicked way in us. In Jesus' name, Amen. We'll take just a moment for you to examine it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>